Okay. There we go. There we go. Going to tuck my wires in here real quick. Now I'm charged. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, you guys ready for a word today? I'm ready to preach. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, let's look in 1 Kings chapter 17, 17 through 18. Well, for every week I was preaching about the Word of God and the necessity of it and the importance of it, I had just as much a desire to preach on prayer than anything else. And uh, today I was really refreshed. So we start about 9 o'clock. Renita and my wife were there with me this morning. You know, I get an exchange of people that come into the prayer time in the morning. But I want to ask Renita and my wife, was there some good stuff that happened in that prayer time? Was it a blessing? It was. Yeah. Absolutely. I almost couldn't walk out of the prayer closet myself this morning. And I want to describe it the best I can because I want to get, if I can, I want to start a fervency for prayer beyond what you've known. And so for me, this morning while I was praying, my mind it was so engaged in my time of prayer and the scripture so fresh and so real to me in the moment that as I was praying, it wasn't until after I had prayed and then Renita started to pray that well, while she was praying, I could feel a tingling in my leg. And it was all the way kind of up to about where, just past my knee. And it was like the kind of tingling you feel when your, your hands are going to go to sleep, but my, my leg was not asleep. I felt like, all I could describe is it just felt like the holy presence of God and it was touching my body. When we were about to walk out, I almost couldn't walk out. I was feeling so physically exhausted. I told my wife, she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, but it felt like I've just been running for a long time and I'm, I'm just trying to get my body back into like the physical exhaustion. Not, the, not trying to get my breath back, trying to get my physical strength back as if I can't tell you, I can't begin to explain how that feels unless you've been there. But there's an intensity to prayer. I want to say this because there's an intensity to prayer that only for those who really want to pray are going to understand what it means. And I've walked through a number of years in my life and I can't tell you why it has been this way for me. I don't know all the, the accumulation of what God has done in my life. But for me, sometimes it's like this Bible under the anointing and under the impression of the Spirit of God comes alive to me. And I can find scriptures and it just comes to, like the Holy Spirit highlights the verses that are so appropriate, so needed for the thing that I'm praying for. But I also feel my heart engagement. Like when I want to say my heart is invested, I'm talking about my heart is overflowing and pouring into my prayer time. And I want to experience more of that. And for me, to share that is to say, I don't know what your level of experience in prayer is. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because I feel like if you could sense what I am, you would want like I do. You would want it. 
Lord, what are you doing in this? And so part of this is answered prayer. Part of it is the reflection of what God does. But the other part of it is what the Holy Spirit is doing to make God real to you in the moment of prayer. There's too much formality. There's too much doing this by the book. There's too much praying things from our mouth that our hearts are burning with flames of holy love and this igniting in our spirit that we must see the promises of God. In, we must have them. I can't live my life reading a book that's so true, so eminently important, and see so little of it, little of it in action and on display in the lives of the people around me. So I believe the Holy Spirit finds somebody who He can impress this urgency into their heart. And He makes them long for it. And draws this deeper, deeper love for the things of God in their spirit until the anguish inside of us is so much so that we are crying out to God in such a way as, Lord, I can't live and breathe without the promises of God. I have to have more. I have to see more of what glorifies Your name. And so while you're in that moment, God does things to bring you into His holy presence that is unutterable. You can't begin to explain or express to others how glorious that is and what it does to you. But for me, personally, it captivates, for me it's like I captivate the holiness of God. I feel like I don't want to just jump out to something in the world. I'm not ready to quickly go out and jest with somebody. If you've ever seen me after a time of real prayer, oftentimes I don't even know how to talk to people afterwards because it's just felt like there's this heavenly touch that I can't quite describe, but it was like I went to another world and I came back and this world doesn't look the same and I want to stay where I was. See, I want everybody that's a, a, a child of God, I want every Christian to know there's a depth to prayer and there's this deeper craving and deeper drawing to God that's not like you've ever known. And even what you have known continues to just draw you with more desire for deeper intercession and deeper knowledge of God. And so there's sometimes where I feel like God's going to answer this prayer and other times it has nothing to do with the answer to prayer as it is this intimate union with God where it's my spirit is so involved with the Spirit of God that it answers questions. I don't need to have questions. In that moment, I have all the answers I need. I couldn't begin to tell you how everything seems clear in that moment. The will of God is clear. The way of God is clear. The struggle of emotional things or anger or what other people are doing has no bearing in that moment on you. It's like it's all of a sudden... If I, could, if I could say it anyway, it's like all of a sudden, anything that can be disturbing you mentally, emotionally, physically, or just like uh, of the flesh, or just in the human realm, is gone. It's not there. And you're stepping in a whole different place, and I believe that's what the presence of God invites us into. Because we spend too much of our time trying to interpret what's in this book based upon what we see and feel around us. We need to be drawn to a whole different realm to understand the depths of God's promises, His heart, His person, and His character. And so we don't need to describe it to you. We need to experience it. We don't need another definition of it. We need a new demonstration of it.
So, now that I got you all started up, you're as fired up as I am, right? Amen. We got 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 18. Let's look there real quick. Let's go to 1 Kings here. I'm in 2 Kings. How about you? Amen, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. 1 Kings 17. It's here somewhere. (laughs) There it is. Now it happened after these things, the the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Now I'm not going to go any further than that, but I want to give you some of the... If you haven't read the story... How many of you are familiar with this story? Let me ask that question. How many are familiar? Okay, good. We got plenty of familiarity here. Elijah was, it says that he prayed for it not to rain. Now, when you read in these verses, I didn't see anything where it actually shows him praying. It shows him prophesying. But in the book of James, he says he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it didn't. And so what, we're, what we read at the beginning of this chapter is that he prayed for it not to rain. And so there was this drought because of his prayer. That people were suffering as a result. I want you to catch that. People were suffering as a result of his prayer. Not only suffering, but major suffering. When you think about three and a half years in a drought, how in the world are they making it through life? So he prays for this, and in process, God tells him to go to a brook, and he's going to feed him at that brook, until the brook dries up, and he's going to feed them from the mouth or from the from a raven. He's going to take care of him and feed him from a raven. Now I don't know about you, but I say that's a miracle in itself. And then he tells him after he's done there that he's supposed to go to this widow woman. Now you got to get the picture of this. This widow woman is now at her last meal, and she says when he comes to her, he says to her to. Go ahead and make one more loaf of bread for you and for your son, but first make for me. And she says to him, I only have enough oil and enough flour to make enough for me and my son, and this is the last one, and then we're going to die. You have to understand the desperate times that they were in. And so Elijah is, in a sense, is the man who brought them into this place. Now this speaks a lot to me because I want you to see That when we are talking about what God wants, it's bigger than human suffering. It's far greater than that. And see, I I capture something in the the story of Elijah because God comes to Elijah at some point and he says to him, why are you here? And Elijah says to God, he says, I am jealous for the Lord God of Israel because your people have erected idols, because your people have turned away from you. Because your people have hardened their hearts to you. And I'm jealous for the Lord. 
And I think that's powerful. Because it ignites everything we know. And it's going to be the heart of what we carry into our time as we read about Elijah and what prayer is all about. And I just want to bring out the heart and the urgency of his prayer life if I can. But tucked in behind his praying is this desperation, this love, this ardent love for God. And the reputation that God has. This is a man who says, I would rather God be honored and man suffer than man get his way and God be dishonored. And it's unique how God answers his prayer. And it says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions. We read this in James. He was a man subject to like passions. He's just like any other man. But this man didn't let his weaknesses, his frailty, and his unique, uh, what would I say, humanity get in the way of pressing in with everything within him to see the will of God take place. So we have this widow woman, and he goes to her house, and, and he says to her, go make of this food, and then God, do not fear to do this, because God is going to miraculously supply the flour and the oil until it rains again. Can you imagine that? Going into this, this barrel that there was left almost no flour and no oil. And I wonder if every day it looked the same. They drew it out and then it replenished what it was. It never overflowed, but stayed at where it was. To remind us that every day, the reality is, is that you're living on the same faith that was required yesterday as the same faith today. So uniquely, they saw this oil that continued to be manifest, continued to stay and grow all the way for three years. That's a miracle. That's an intense miracle. But you know what's more intense? It's the only place in the Bible during this time that we read that there was a woman who was miraculously supplied what she needed. Imagine everybody else outside of Elijah's sphere. And even Jesus said there was one woman, but it doesn't tell us that everybody else got the same supply. Everybody else got the same thing. And that's not the point in the sermon, but the idea is this, is that Elijah was a man who learned to surrender to God. And so during this time, her son fell sick to the point that all of his breath left him. I don't know if he was dead or if he was about to die. But this is where we cap capture this part of the story that I was just reading. So I want to go back to this part of the story. And I want to look at a few of these verses. And I want you to see in verses 17 and 18 something here. So let's look at verses 17 and 18. It says, And so she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. If you notice here is she was being miraculously supplied by God, but this time a tragedy happened right in the middle of that. And it's interesting that God can provide for us what we need the most. 
And while that's happening and God's supplying our needs, tragedy can happen in the middle of God's providences. But it's also interesting what she does with that because she doesn't have the faith herself to lay hold of. In that moment, she's questioning, and like we all would, when tragedy hits, what's, what's wrong with me? What have I done? What have I done? And not only that, but then she begins to look adversely upon this man of God that came into her life and was the very reason why she's being preserved through these three years. And yet now she sees this thing and it's like, what good is it? What good is it in a sense that God should provide for me miracles, provide for me ways out, and sustain me, and then my son die? Why? Why? And it's unique to me in the middle of this accusation that a man of God who's concentrating on the will of God is not moved by accusation. And I want to say this to my brothers and sisters because when you want to move out in the direction God has for you, do not be surprised when accusation comes your way. When people say things about you and they start to tear down your character or they try and find some area of weakness in your life because God is about to do something. You understand the devil knows. The devil knows. Where you are with the Lord. And He knows when you're about to step into a point of victory. And just like it was with Jesus, the hour of temptation came at just the right time. Just before Jesus entered into that ministry. Just before the Spirit of God sealed Him and gave Him the opportunity to pour out miracles over humanity. And yet He was being tried by darkness. But what's unique about this is He doesn't let His heart become affected by it. Except for it to be a promotion to do the will of God. I'm t- Okay, there we are, back online again. Just a brief pause, a quick commercial. Way better than a halftime on Super Bowl. Amen for that. Okay, so where was I at? Accusation gets in in the line or anything, and it sidetracks you. But it didn't sidetrack him. And I want to say this. I think people who are praying people, People who are really praying people already know this is coming and they're ready for it. They're ready for it. I love uh, Susie uh, a long time ago. It was a few
few months or so, she had given this thing about Daniel, and it said, did Daniel learn to pray when he got to the lion's den? It was before, hours and days and months and years before he ever got to the lion's den, that he, had already, he was prepared for the day when it comes. And how many of us are prepared to, to face the greater battle, to deal with the greater enemy? And the greater enemy is not what people are saying to you. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture, in the Word of God, it tells us very plainly that your enemy is not flesh and blood, but you war against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Be rest assured that sometimes when people come to you like the devil is working his way through their life, just to create evil in your life or to create distraction, be rest assured that your battle starts with what's at work behind the scenes, not what's happening in front of you. If we can stay the course and pray our way through, I think people who are not praying people are already going to fall into this trap. They already do because we don't know how to be close to the Lord without prayer. So we need to confront accusation with prayer. Now, we don't see him praying in this moment. But we do know that he's a man of prayer and we know he's about to get into prayer. And you don't want this. This is the thing. I love this. You don't want anything that's going to mar your moment with Jesus. I don't have that in the notes, so you might want to write that one down. You don't want anything to mar your moment with Jesus. If you got something going, I think that's why God tells us, if you got something with your brother, you go deal with it right now. Before you go lay your gift at the altar, you go get things right with your brother right now. Then you come and offer your gift. Then you come and get things... Because if we've got hardness and bitterness with people in our lives, that is robbing you of your validation and right before God. You've got to get it right with Jesus. So now, accusation, now think about this, on her side, accusation often comes with the pain of deep losses, especially when God is already sustaining us miraculously. A lot of times that, that, that is the pain of not understanding. I don't need to worry, I don't need to get all, all fired up and angry at you because you're accusing me, because you don't understand what's going on in your life. It's, there's a sympathy there. And there's a love and a care for the other person. And what I love about Elijah is he didn't take that accusation personally. He made sure that she became the byproduct of the blessing of him continuing on the path. See, she was just going to get the overflow of his prayer time spent with the Lord. You know, people are going to, the people who are your accusers are going to get the overflow and the blessing that rings down from your time spent with Jesus. Lord, I don't want a curse upon my enemies. I want my enemies to be blessed. I want my enemies on the way to the path of salvation. I want them to know the power of your forgiveness like it's brought to me and what it's like to have the guilt lifted off of your shoulders. I want them to know that. And so he'd been, he'd been staying with her for these three years or however many. He's been living with his family, embraced them with love and care. This isn't one accusation isn't going to change him. He understands 
that is coming from pain. He has enough of the Spirit of God and natural understanding to realize that this is a deep and real inward struggle of a person. So he's not going, he's going to go to bat for her. And praise God that we can be that for other people in our lives. How much more for the people that we share this room with, that we share this space and time with. If you're going through something, you know, let it be known because we care about you. Please hear my heart in this. If you're going through something, whether we have the ability to help you or not, we care about you. Some people are so isolated, they feel like nobody cares because nobody, whatever, you know, nobody's called me, nobody's come over. You know, everybody's busy. But that doesn't mean we don't deeply, ardently love the people we're sharing this space with. So when you share something with me, it, what it does is it brings it to the forefront. See, Jesus can bring it or you can bring it. I just want to know it. And I want to share in your burdens, but I also want to share in your gladness. Prayer prevails to manifest the will of God when others are blind to it through emotional tragedy. You know emotion blinds you to the will of God? Men, how many of us have gotten anger? How many of you in your anger have really fixed yourself on the will of God right in the middle of being angry? How many of you are good at that? That we start to feel like we need to start getting things calmed down. And, then, and that goes both to the ladies too because there's sometimes that emotion hits you and it hits you like a ton of bricks and you can't see what God is trying to show you through that emotion. Man, this is beautiful. This is the Word of God here. I'm not even making it past my first, uh, my first point here. Amen? But that's why He's called us to pray, because He's called us at different times to be that strength toward one another. When you're in your emotional wreckage, I'm not telling you you need to get it all fixed up, pull up your bootstraps and make it right. I'm telling my brother and sister that you're on mountains high Pray for them. Be there with them. Be in the thick of it for them. What is the church? What is the church if we can't be there for one another? What are we? So prayer begins to manifest. And the reason I say that is because even I, from the outside of your circumstance, really don't know how to apply the, the, the answer to your problem without the Holy Spirit beginning to show me Help me discern beyond the emotional tragedy and beyond the physical thing you're going through. What is it the heart thing? What is, what is the enemy trying to rob you of? And so prayer begins to help us see things God's way. And so we need somebody. Somebody needs to be in the praying field. Somebody needs to be listening to the Lord. Somebody needs to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying in the midst of this. And what I would say is this, is that you are, you are operating in vanity if you don't know how to pray, or you don't pray, thinking something this big, you're going to have an answer for. And this is what we do. We let the sun die, and then we tell them later that it must have been God's will somehow. Because we were too weak and frail in our own life with God to address our own spiritual poverty to be able to deal with things appropriately. Now, I won't say that everybody who passes should have been raised up from the dead. But I will say there's a whole lot of miracles passing the church of Jesus Christ by because we really don't have faith and we have a whole lot of unbelief and we figured out how to pass it on and just say, well, that's just the way it is. But not this man. 
Accusation can become a stepping stone to the miraculous because of your allegiance to hold on to the will of God. Accusation can be its own stepping stone. As long as I'm fixed on the will of God. Now you're going to love my next point. So let's look in verse 19 here. How many of you are ready to go to 19? Or do you just want to stay there in 17 and 18? Some of us could just stay in 17 and 18. I'd stay there. Am I preaching? Can I get some help here? Verse 19. Let's read it here. And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. I, You know, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it. When you're in an attitude of prayer, what the Holy Spirit's going to use you for is to pull the burden off of other people. The Holy Spirit's going to work in you to take the burden off of them. It's powerful what God can do through us. And I think about Peter when he was standing at the gate beautiful and he looks at the man and he says to him, what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You know, he's asking for for money and Peter's like, no money for you today. I preached a sermon a number of years ago. I called it the the penniless Pentecostal preacher because he knew he didn't have money, he had Jesus. You know, when you're locked enough into God, and when you live close enough to God, it just comes off of you. I remember people in my life. You know what I pegged about them? It wasn't the size. It wasn't their unique joy. It wasn't something about their personality. It was something that you couldn't quite see. But it was evident. It was like, what is it? And now I could tell you what it was, but then I couldn't quite describe it to you. God was on that person. The Spirit of the Lord was ministering in their presence. I watched them from watching them walk. I was like, there's something unique about this person. And it's God. It's God. So he lays him in his own bed. But there's something I find unique about this is that he takes him from the woman who's stressed emotionally and doesn't have the faith that she's going to need to go the next point. Jesus did this too. He actually said, everybody out of this room. Everybody out of this room except for me. (laughs) And he goes into a place secluded. Oh, if you want to learn something about prayer, you're going to learn this one. You're going to learn to get secluded. You're going to get isolated with God. Away from people, but with God. Now, there's going to be time where you get to have people in your life. But you're going to have an isolation time so that God gets His, what He wants you to see in this moment. And I think, because see, I share in Elijah's heart because I've had those moments. How many of you have had those moments? you like, you had to get alone with the Lord. Amen? So I'm, not, I'm talking to people who know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. And you're like, I can't stay here. I've got to go get some time alone with the Lord right now. And this is where business happens. Some of the most amazing things God's ever going to show you is when you're alone in that place with Him. And so real prayer is born in a secret place. God doesn't have to make it public to make it powerful. God doesn't have to make it public to make it powerful. Oh man, Jesus said whatever you've done in secret will be rewarded in the open. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, now you know this is where the, this is where the Bible comes alive for me. This is where the Bible comes alive for me because I'm thinking about in Psalms. He says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now I'm saying that to you, but I'm saying to God at the same time, Lord, please take me there. There's just something too beautiful about what you mean by that that I'm just not seeing naturally. Will you take me there? And see, I have to be alone. I have to be alone most of the time for God to get me there. I love it. God likes to pour out His glory when you're all by yourself. You're by yourself with Him. And He likes to give things that nobody else gets to know of. Nobody else gets to experience that moment with you, just you and Jesus. But it redefines everything. It absolutely redefines everything. See, I can tell you that it can take me, it could have taken me in that sinful moment and redefined everything that I believed in in one instance. It is so awesome for God to pour into you this revelation of His Spirit that I'm not the sinner that I was. I'm not going to live the life that I was living. I'm not going to live, continue to endorse the same things I was. I'm not going to look at the world the way I was looking at the world because there's something about the presence of Jesus that changes everything in that moment. Am I preaching? I'm preaching. You want me to keep preaching? I can cool it down if you want. Nobody's saying, okay, fine, this is what you got. This is what you got. One of the greatest obstacles to great prayer is a wandering mind. You'll spend probably, if you take an hour to pray, you'll probably spend uh, 45 minutes trying to get your head out of some other game and get where God wants you, but stay there until it's done and over with. A wandering mind has a powerful effect to draw us away, away from where God wants to lead us. God often calls us away to call us up. You can go to the next slide if you haven't already gone there. Actually, you can go to the next two, I think, here. The boys got to keep up with me. I love those guys. It's probably the one time in my life where, like, now they got to keep up with me. The rest of it, I got to keep up with them. God calls us away to call us up. There's a song. I love this song. It was by Derek Floyd. How many of you know the name Derek Floyd? I'm going to be surprised if anybody raises their hand here. It was like a 70s singer, if I remember right. And Derek Floyd had this song. He had some songs. Go look him up. He has some anointed songs. Oh, my goodness. And in part of this song, it says, uh, the world says, come together, and the Lord says, come apart. The world says, come together, and the Lord says, come apart. Wow, man, those words are going to minister to me over and over again because Jesus is doing just that. So he's calling us away to call us up. Moses left the people, went up the mountain. Jesus left the people, went up the mountain. Everything really unique and amazing. I think the biggest miracle isn't when Jesus healed somebody, it's when he was up on the mountain. What is the Father doing? What is God doing up on the mountaintop, Elijah is called away. And he's now he's called away to the secret place. 
The gift of, of, of a praying heart is to take what is burdening you to prayer until God provides the answer. The gift of a praying heart is to take what is burdening you to prayer until God provides the answer. You know, I can't tell you for so many of us what the time frame is going to be there. You know, the problem with our culture, and you guys can all say it, the problem with our culture is we can have everything at the snap of a finger. And praise God for those of us who live in Wallowa County because we don't get some things with the snap of a finger. Like, for instance, a module for a blower for a heater. Until. <laughs> until you pray. You know, it was unique because, and I want to share just a little thought on this because I think this is a unique testimony for the Lord. But we, we had talked to the uh, green growers and they had told us, and this is all they could do. They said, our supplier says, probably not till March sometime. And I'm like, what time in March is what I would like to know is when we're not going to see this in March. And so they went, they did great job at making sure and isolating that it was the modular, not the blower. Because the blower by itself could have been $800. So, okay, they did a great job at looking at that. And so they isolated the problem. They figured out it was the module and not the blower, when we at one time thought it was the blower. Then they said they called not only the supplier, but they did a worldwide search and still didn't get any better results. And God likes to inspire somebody from our congregation and blessed us with a brother here that knew somebody to call. And he called him because he felt the Lord inspire him to do so. And that guy, I think, what was it, within the day, I think, probably had a, the, the day or the next day, had the part. They knew where the part was. All we had to do was order. Four days later, we had it. The day that we it comes, the day it comes, the guys were just there ready for us. It was like, they were like, would you give me something to do? <laughs> so we had, it, we had it in the same day that the part came in. Yes, brother. Yes. So I was about to say that. Is that every avenue was starting to get breached. And what's that? Maybe. Maybe. But what I, I saw in that was we prayed. And we prayed specifically in Jesus' name like he said to pray. And he answered. He answered big time. He answered because there's no way Joseph would have known. This is, I know where it's at. I wouldn't have known. The guy wouldn't have known where it's at. But we just find that God makes a connection. I was just saying to uh, Juanita to, earlier today, you know those old phones that you have? They, they had the ones where you had to make the connection between the two. And prayer is the connection between what you don't know and what God does. You know, it's laying out on a shelf somewhere just meant for you to have. But because you're not praying, because you're not seeking the face of God, you're not going to make the connection. And yes, you will go through the frustration, even as a Christian, until you learn to trust the Lord. And when you trust it in His hands, He's like, here it is. I'm going to make it fast. I'm going to set up everything for you. Because you learn to surrender to Me. And when you don't get an answer to prayer, you've already learned. You've already learned that God is a Father who knows when to give and He knows when not to give. He knows when you need it and when you don't need it. And if you're not getting it, it's because He loves you too much to let you have it in the moment. 
There's something else that He's trying to show you. And if you'll stay the course and continue to pray, the Holy Spirit will lead you through there. And you will never be disappointed when you let God have control of what's going on. Other than the people listening online, you're probably not benefited by this mic, I'm telling you. So isolation comes with urgency for prayer when you must have God's promise only. Listen to me. I'm going to say this with all my heart, but I think it's so important. I want you today to look at this as an open account. The account is never closed. And you can make a withdrawal right now. You can make a withdrawal. And you can make a withdrawal as often as you want. If you could make a withdrawal from a bank right now and you could walk up to that teller and you said, I'm going to make a withdrawal, how much would you do if you had only one chance? How much money would you ask for them to give you if all you could get is one opportunity? Billions? Trillions? I don't know. What would you ask? But here you have, the account is always open, and I think Jesus is urging us, would you please make a withdrawal from the account. I'm begging you. I want to show my glory. I want to manifest the beauty of who I am to humanity. Would you please make a withdrawal? And would you just not make one withdrawal, but would you make multiple withdrawals? Keep coming back again and again. And I think if we were to get really what Jesus is trying to highlight in our eyes, when our blinders are taken off, we'd realize... Oh, my Lord, I've been missing it. I've been missing so many chances to make a proclamation for eternity in the kingdom of God. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm going to prayer right now. I'm going to prayer right now. What about so-and-so who's, I'm praying for his salvation. Oh, do you know what Jesus is looking for? You know what Jesus is looking for? Some of you are getting it right now. Amen for that. Jesus is looking for your heartfelt response to His promises. Lord, You said, and it's impossible for You to lie. You can't lie to me. You'd never lie to me. You're not a man that You should lie. I'm prevailing until I get what I'm praying for. That's what God's looking for. I want to read a verse to you that's been precious to me over the years, and I want this to pound into your heart as you're thinking about prayer and the intensity of it. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 44. I wonder if the boys have already got it there for me. See, they don't know when I'm moving on, so they're going to keep you where you were. So Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Look up there at the, the overhead there. This is one you want to write down. And this is talking about Jesus when he was in the garden. It says, in, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Stop right there. Being in an agony, he prayed more, more earnestly. It didn't just pr- say that Jesus prayed. It didn't just say that pr- Jesus was praying earnestly. And we don't do know that he was but that it intensified the earnestness of his prayer. It intensified when he was in agony. And I felt like the Holy Spirit dropped this in my spirit one day, and he said, if you want more intensity in prayer life, 
then you inadvertently you're asking me to drop more agony into your spirit. You want to have a deep agony and earnestness. Go find this message by David Wilkerson, and it's a, it's a call to anguish. Go listen to that sermon. Every time I do, I end up in tears, and my spirit is so stirred to prayer. But look up that in an agony. And I have honestly experienced not the sweating of blood, but I have, I've, I've experienced the intensity of this agony in my spirit, and so much so that it makes me urge on a deeper level, God, I want what I'm praying for. I can't live without it. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood. Talk about agony. Falling down to the ground. Sweat as great drops of blood became. Earnestness for humanity. And this is the thing I think that breaks my heart. If you and I seriously believe that those that are without Jesus Christ and without Christ's salvation in their life. They've never been born again. If you and I really believe that they are going to go into an eternity without God, then I do not know how. I have no understanding how Christians have dry eyes week after week, day after day, and all the testimony we have is what's felt good to us. But when God breaks your spirit, and he begins to put the children in your mind that are being molested in this county. When you begin to think about the alcoholism that's robbing marriages of hope and help, and your heart is burning inside of you because you've recognized there's nothing about what I'm seeing that looks like the gospel. Then your heart churns within you, and the agony begins to burn in your spirit, and then you begin to enter into prayer effectual prayer. And you look at what Elijah was going through and this must have been exactly what he was seeing. See, we want to image men of God who stand up here and look so pompous and proud. And I'm going to say this as carefully as I can. But you look at it at a guy who can have a TV show and he's got everything, that all the recognition and the money down in the turnpike and he looks big from the outside. But measure him from Jesus' standard and he's probably not a much of anything. He's got a crowd of people that approve of him, but no miracles as a real flash to what he's really doing. And then all of it's all flash and show, and Jesus did the opposite when he was alive. So I'm not here to promote a man. I just want to see Jesus Christ get the glory, and the man who God's using still have a little bit of humility left over when it's all said and done. Me and I'm preaching. Gosh. So in 1 Kings 17, verse 20, it says, And then he cried out and said, O Lord my God, have you... Oh, you're going to have to see this one. I had to look at this one for a few. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Now, if you read this one way, you're going to think that he repeated the exact same thing to God that she said to him. But I caught something different in this because of the word have. Oh, Lord, my God, have you. Now, the beauty of prayer is not what we ask, but what is at the heart or the center of our asking. 
At some point, we're going to be confronted with whether we are questioning God or we're questioning what does not fit the will of God. Now, I want to just give you a thought on this. Elijah had, had felt the God speak to him a number of years ago, and God said, I want you to go to a widow woman, and I'm going to supply for her. I'm going to take care of her, and I'm going to take care of you through this widow woman. He goes to her, and then God miraculously supplies the flour and the oil to do so. What do you think it looked like to Elijah when he looked at that woman's son? I think it looked like this. This can't possibly be the will of God. You wouldn't do what you've done. You wouldn't do the miraculous, and you wouldn't have saved their lives three years by miraculous supply only to kill him along the way. That's not the way you're, that's not the God I serve. That's not the God I've been united with. So this doesn't look like the will of God. And I think what he's saying is, God, is this you or not? Because I don't think it is. <laughs> I think what he's saying is, this doesn't match your will. Are you doing this? He's not saying, God, I think you're doing this. I'm wondering and frustrated that you've killed her son. But he says, I think that you're on the other side of this thing and you want to bring a miracle to pass. Because why would you do everything you've been doing? And we're reminded there in Philippians, he says, he that began a good work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Man who has faith in Jesus knows that he will finish the work no matter what. This tragedy happened for the glory of God. It happened. Why is that person sick or why are they going through whatever? So Jesus can be glorified if we'll let Jesus in the picture, right? Yes. So you have to be, you're going to be confronted with, if you're going to pray long enough, you're going to be confronted with how much are you questioning God or how much are you questioning the thing that's outside the will of God? When you know the will of God, you question everything that you know. When you know the will of God, you question everything that you know doesn't line up with it. That's what you bring to God. This doesn't line up with your will, Lord. And if it does, show me. But otherwise, I'm praying against this. And I'm going to pray for every promise in the book that leads me to see the will of God fulfilled. I'll just start turning through promises. Lord, this promise, that promise, and that one. Passion should be at the forefront of the person who won't settle for less than the perfect will of God. Prayer is passionate, powerful, and persuasive. Jesus said, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, I'll let you fill in the blank. Okay, one more, one more verse. You guys ready for this? Can I go a little bit longer? Uh, I'm sorry if I'm holding you back. But then again, I'm not so sorry. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21. This is like the highlight here for me. If you're like, I thought everything else was a highlight. What are you talking about? Verse 21. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Persistent prayer prevails three times. 
He wasn't going to give up because he was convinced. See, you know, I want you to hear. I want you to catch something too. It says that he cried out to the Lord. Oh, he cried out to the Lord. He didn't cry out to the Lord from personal pain. He didn't cry out from the Lord because of how hard it hurt to have somebody accuse him. He cried out to the Lord because he was fixed on seeing the will of God, and he was going to make sure that he let God know in every way. Cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God. I want you to to catch this verse in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 11. It says, When you call upon me and go and pray to me, I will listen to you. Wow. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I can tell you why when some people pray that they don't get an answer from God. Because they don't pray with all their heart. They don't put their whole heart into their prayer life. And so they're content to pray kind of half-heartedly. But this verse says, it gives an awesome promise to those. He says, you'll pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will search for me with all your heart and I will be found of you. Now I want you to hear this. Passion is never better than purity. Passion is important because it's a part of the heart piece. But purity is what drives the passion as a reality. So purity is the fuel for persistence. See, the reason why Elijah knew he could pray, but not everybody could pray the prayer of Elijah, is because he had purity mixed with it. So when he came to God, he came with a pure heart. And so when he asked, he asked with a pure heart. And he got the answer of God because of that. It says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to tell my brothers and sisters this morning, I want to encourage you with all my heart, if you are that man and that woman, that I am keeping a pure heart, you may say, man, it seems like everybody else gets to enjoy something in the world. They get to enjoy that and they get to have this. And the Lord is constantly pulling me away from it and pulling me out of it. And they're pulling, being pulled toward it. Don't take it for granted. God is doing something in you. I have felt a long time, my Lord, why is it that it seems like I have such a struggle enjoying things within the world? Because of that. And the Holy Spirit is just separating you. Passion is never better than purity. and Purity is the fuel for persistence. If we want to persist with God, we have to insist on purity. If you want to pray with power, you have to confront everything in your life and in your heart that is attached to the world. You have to confront it. What do I love of the world? What of the world has me? What of it that I want more of? Whether it's comfort, whether it's assurance, whether it's insurance, I don't give a care what it is. You have to ask yourself, how much of an attachment do you have? If you don't love to pray, it's because there is something in you that keeps you from loving it. If you don't love praying, it's because there's something inside of you that keeps you from loving it. It's that simple. Why don't I want to pray? I can't tell you, but I can tell you there's something there that's keeping it from happening. Lastly, persistence is the heart's flame for God's glory. Never underestimate how intense prayer can be when the Holy Spirit is inspiring you for a miracle. Never underestimate. 
Actually, can you put that up on the... You're behind me. Where are you at here? 1 Kings 17.21. Oh yeah, you got a few more scriptures to go through. So just move it toward the the last point there, Isaac. Persistence is the heart's flame. And just leave it there. Somebody wants to keep that one. <laughs> it's the heart's flame for God's glory. Never underestimate how intense prayer can be when the Holy Spirit is inspiring you for a miracle. And you've got to understand, my heart is a father. When my children come to me, I want to grant them that immediately. But my children do something else that just makes it so much harder for me to say no. <laughs> They come persistently. As a matter of fact, I have rules. I have rules. You can't keep coming to me about this over and over again. But you can come to your Father in heaven about it over and over again. I'm not ready to grant it. But that's me. That's not God. And I want to say this is because there's an intensity that you want to feel. And why do I say that is because here's the thing. If your growth in love for God is at one level, don't you want it to be a next level higher? Don't you want something more than what you already have? This is God's way of getting you there. This is how God gets you there. He keeps it back for a little bit longer, not because He's saying, I don't want to give it to you. He says, I want you to grow in your earnestness and love more than where you're at. And the only way I'm going to get you there is to get you to keep praying and yearning for it until you don't want to live without it. Then you've come to me in a way that's grown your affection and deeper love for me. And I want... See, this is the thing. God never... Oh, I I wish we could see this. God never hasn't answered your prayer yet because He doesn't intend to. He's trying to get you somewhere. And one of my favorite part stories in all of the Bible is Hannah when she's praying. Oh, what a story. You know what I, you know, it's interesting because you, you need to catch some things in those verses, but it said that Peninnah, which was the other wife of Elkanah, she was receiving children. And it said that Hannah, that the Lord kept her barren. Hannah had more of a pure heart from the best I can tell from it, but the Lord kept her barren until she said, Lord, this time, if you give me a son, I will lend him to you. I just gave you a powerful nugget for prayer. If you'll quit praying this for you, and you'll start praying it for him, you might find immediate results right now. But notice the intensity she began to pray with. And it said that she was, an, she, she was an intense and a bitterness of spirit. And she prayed to God out of that intensity and that bitterness until she finally came to the place where truly and really this is for you. See, every prayer has a return policy. Every prayer has a return policy. And it meant to go back to Him. When we learn how to do the return policy in prayer, you'll have answers to prayer like never before. Not because you can say it, because the Holy Spirit can work it out of you to really, it's about Jesus. Where it's really about Jesus. Now, I've come to the place, 
at this moment. I don't want to preach anymore because I've come to the end of my notes. I do want to preach more, but I, I want to come to the end. I want to give you guys an opportunity to take what the Lord is stirring in your spirit, and I want you to draw near to Him right now. I want you to draw near to Him right in this moment because <clears throat> I'm convinced of one thing. I'm convinced this, that if this message is the heart of Jesus, and it's what Jesus wants to do more inside of us, then He's not planning on making it last any longer. Because this is the heart of what gets us to where He wants. This is the one thing I can tell you for sure the Lord doesn't hold back. We might be praying for something else, but when you pray, Jesus, I want you. I want you. I want you more than anything in my life right now. I want a deeper, intense love for Jesus Christ. I want nothing in my life that's going to block the way to you, Lord. That's a prayer that God doesn't want to wait to answer. He never wants to wait to answer that. Everything that I'm going through in life doesn't matter when I have that. I was reading this morning in Jeremiah. Um, was it Jeremiah? It was Isaiah. And I was reading of what the prophet was telling to the people and talking about a discouraging word. And then I caught something. And I'm just going to say this. And then I'm going to let you come up here up front, if you will, or the Holy Spirit to minister to you right where you're at. But I caught something. Everything that God was saying against them it was like this message that wasn't written, but I could see it. And it was this. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is on the other side of this. But if you won't listen to my rebuke and turn your heart to me, I can't do what I'm wanting to do. And then as, you read, as I read further, and you just open up the book of Isaiah, you see these wonderful promises that are matchless, beautiful, and that's the heart of God. I don't want to come and bring some kind of judgment. I don't want things to go sour in your life, but I do want you to make me first and foremost. And so that's really, I think, that the heart of everything you read is when God was chastening or He was bringing judgment, it was simply because He wanted people to be on the other side of that. They just weren't willing. Now, do I feel like that's you guys? No, I don't. But I do want to, I want to bring out, there's a highlight to the fact that nothing God does is without the desire to make us closer to Him. If we'll do that, we'll see more of what the Lord wants to do in amazing ways. But let's pray. I want to ask Tina and the worship team to come up. And then I want you to respond as the Lord touches your heart.